The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Dive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield. I'm here with my co-host, as always, John Cuna. Today, we're excited to have Darius Miller on as a guest, and I'll give a quick bio. Darius, uh, also at DMillerKY on Twitter, is an American professional basketball player who played in the NBA from 2012 to 2021 for the Oklahoma City Thunder and the New Orleans Pelicans, and also played overseas in Germany for two years from 2015 to 2010. He played college basketball for the Kentucky Wildcats and senior season by winning the 2012 NCAA Men's Division One Basketball Championship. Uh, Darius, thanks for joining us, man. How's it good, going? good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. We appreciate you taking the time to no be on problem. here. And, you know, I was going to start with, we got quite a few things we're going to cover. I mean, we're going to talk about your journey as an athlete. Uh, you know, high school all the way to the NBA, uh, you know, and and recent retirement. We're going to talk about injury recovery. We're going to talk about the overlap between sports and mental health. And, of course, we're going to get to NFTs. I was going to start with NFTs, but actually just reading your bio, you know, and, and being reminded of the, the championship win in, in uh, March Madness in 2012 and knowing that, you know, you're originally from Kentucky, I kind of want to start there. So walk us through what was that like being someone who went from, being Mr. Basketball in the state of Kentucky is uh, basically, you know, essentially the, the, the top player in the whole state and going to Kentucky um, and playing on that team. Uh, I think you, you, if I'm not mistaken, you've played the most games for Kentucky men's basketball uh, in, in the history of the team and winning that championship with that team in 2012 as a senior. What was that like? Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, one of the best experiences I ever had, of course, on a basketball court. Um, it, it was a journey. Uh, all four years, we got close, you know, so many times. And uh, winning it my senior year on my last game meant a lot to me. Um, I had strong relationships with the guys my senior season. So uh, that that also made it that much better. Uh, but the whole experience, just playing for uh, the hometown team, you know, playing uh, in Kentucky, which is a, a major part of the state, it's it, a, a blessing and a dream come true. That's amazing. And, and especially in that last game, you had a real game. And that team, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it was like as a senior playing all four years to then be – I can't remember how many people on the, on the team were also freshmen that were high-level players. But I know you had, like, there was Anthony Davis, there was Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, there was Terrence yep. Jones, Marquise Teague, Deron Lamb. Like, those were, I think, all NBA, all also NBA players along with you. What was it like to, to have to – I mean, I would guess – I want to hear your take on this. I would guess that that level of competition just on your own team in Division One college basketball really prepared you for the NBA in terms of the level of competition. Oh, for sure. For sure. Every every practice was uh, extremely difficult. Uh, Coach Cal set it up that way uh, to be really competitive uh, so that the games were easier. And, you know, we all benefited from that. And like you said, it helped to prepare us for the next level. Yeah, because that's one thing that's always, you know, John and I have talked about this a couple of times, but what it's like for, uh, professional athletes who, in large part, have been the best at what they do, if if not in their general area, in their entire state or region, 
for their entire lives, you know, to go from that uh, to being at a level like the NBA where everyone's the best player, you know, you're surrounded by everyone's just amazing at what they do. I'd love to hear more about that in terms of, um, you know, how do you adjust to that kind of thing when you get to that level and you're used to, you know, being the guy and then all of a sudden everyone is the guy. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's just the same thing. It's, it's, it's basketball. Uh, like you said, everybody is definitely uh, more talented at that level. It's, it's, it's definitely a grind every day uh, as far as like practice and, and competing, but uh, you have fun with it. Uh, I feel like most of the guys in order to get that to that point, you have to have um, some, some sort of competitiveness. Uh, you got to be some sort of competitor to get to that point. So I think most people, uh, when you get there, you just embrace it. And, uh, it, it helps you to become the best player that you can be, just that, that daily competition against the, the best in the world, some of the best in the world, I should say. There's also a lot of talent overseas, too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just – it's great. It's great, man. I fed off of it, and I became a better player because of it. Well, that's amazing. It sounds like your, your mindset was a huge part of your success because I would imagine there's, there's some people that get to, you know, even when they, they're used to being the best, they, maybe even because they're used to being the best, they get to that level and there's so many good players around them that that has to factor into their uh, psychological sure. approach in some way. And, and maybe some are better than others. It sounds like you handled it really well. So walk me through your Mr. Basketball in the state of Kentucky in high school, which is, you know, obviously the, the highest honor you can get for, for uh, high school basketball in, in any state in the U.S. You then go... Uh, play D1 four years college at Kentucky. You play, you get drafted, you play in the NBA, you go to Germany midway through the NBA, then back to the NBA, and then uh, recently retired. What, out of all those different stages and transitions, which one was there one that was, um, maybe we'll get to two part question, one that was the hardest transition mm-hmm. for you and kind of why that was the hardest, and then one that was the most enjoyable kind of stage for you? Uh, I think the hardest transition, uh, um, probably going overseas at first uh but that was just that was just from a mental standpoint um i would say on the court probably the hardest transition would be from 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 college to pros um yeah on the court i would say uh just like you said just kind of the point we talked about earlier it's just it's a it's just a different level everybody was that guy in college that makes it to that level so it's just um the speed of the game is a little bit different um you you sometimes you, sh- you might show people too much respect uh, just because it's guys that you've been looking up to uh, your whole your whole career pretty much when you step on the court with them uh, a lot of different factors that go into that and then um yeah off the court I would say would be my my transition to Germany on my, on my way to Germany I think uh, I had never been overseas before and at least not for a long period of time uh, I was going by myself to a new country. Without my my daughter and my wife, my wife had just had my my daughter probably two months before, so they couldn't travel. Uh, so that was probably the hardest uh, off the court mentally, I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. So how did you navigate that? Being there, you were there for about two years, right? So did you get chances? Was there an off season to get like little pockets where you could come back and be with family, or did they come to see you, or both, or was it mostly relying on like video chats? Yeah, um, that first year, uh, it was just. Three, it was probably I was probably there for three months, three or four months, and uh, I I just went over there by myself uh, the first year. And then the second year and the third year, my my wife and my daughter came, um, not time, but for most of the time. So that that made it easier. But uh, we had an amazing time over there, for sure. It was it was it was great for us as a family and, and for me as a person. So, um, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And the other the other piece you mentioned about 
you know, the speed of play. And especially you mentioned one thing about maybe giving too much respect to people. That's one thing I, I found interesting. Cause I actually saw that happen. I mean, we're from John and I are from the Boston area. So mm-hmm. we're obviously huge Celtics fans. And, you know, one of the things that popped up this year was first year coach, Ime Udoka kind of from what he said, taking uh, Jason Tatum aside and sort of saying to him that, Hey, it's, it's good that you are friendly uh, with people, but you also can't give them too much respect or else it, it impacts your ability on the court. It seemed like when, when that happened, it kind of helped him turn a corner. I don't know if it did or not, but it seemed that way. Uh, yeah, that's, so it's, that's, that's, I think that's a, the huge piece of it. Not a huge piece of it, but that's, it's a pretty large piece of it, I would say, because, I mean, like I said, you, you just grow up watching some of these guys. Uh, a lot of people my age, would, I'd say they would grow up watching LeBron, um, Dwayne Wade. So when you get on the court with these guys, I mean, it's it's sometimes it was hard, especially early on, not to get caught up in that and uh, give them too much respect. I mean, it, it was it kind of took a little bit for me to uh, treat them the same way as I would treat anybody else on the basketball court, I should say. Yeah, that's I'm fascinated by that, Darius. And I, I'm I'm curious, you know, not to, you know, like you said, you grow up watching these guys, and now all of a sudden you're going toe to toe, and that must take an adjustment. Talk to me a little bit about like what went into that. Was there any you know preparation, or was there any you know purposeful thought around how to do that? And how did you find? Was it just repetition of going up against those guys day in and day out that helped you with that, or was there conversations you're having with yourself or preparation with teammates to help you with that process? Um. I, it wasn't it wasn't really a long like a long term thing. It kind of was short, and you're thrown into the fire, and then you got to deal with it, you know. So <laughs> you don't right. really get a lot of a time to like think about it. It's not like I, I was thinking about it leading up to the games. It was kind of more of a hey, you step on the court, you go to warm ups. This time you look across the court, and it's and it's a you know a superstar. It's somebody that you've been watching for a long time. So it's more of a just a quick thing, you know, instead of a, a long thing. At least for me personally. But uh, I could see, mm-hmm. I could definitely see how it, it could be a, a lingering thing for for people for sure. Yeah, sort of like a sink or swim type of moment of you got to figure definitely. it out, and if you don't, it's going to impact both you and the team. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. Things along those lines when it comes to you know mindset. You know, are you at that level? Do they expect you know NBA players, pro athletes at that level, to sort of just figure that stuff out themselves and and self correct as needed to adjust either in game or between games? Or people on the staff, whether it's just coaches who are former players or coaches themselves, or you know, um, you know, non athletic coaches, mental health professionals, other people that help with that kind of thing, or where the landscape stands with that in the NBA specifically in terms of teams having people on staff that look for maybe the the non physical analytic side of things and being able to pinpoint things that might help an athlete gain an edge in terms of mindset. Um, at first there wasn't really a, a team or anything in place for that to, to really help as far as like the mental side of the game. But now um, the league has gotten so much better. And I I'm, think not a hundred percent sure, but I'm, I think that every team has like a, a, a mental coach, a, a person, uh, male or female, man or woman or whatever uh, to uh, help players get through certain things mentally but at the beginning it was more so the vets job you know the vets were there to kind of take the youngins under the wing and uh show them kind of ropes as far as how the league goes and then um well mentally you do do what you need to do on your own to get ready and get prepared for that do you feel i mean i, I can see how that would be a big piece of you know the veterans coming in and you you see those guys who've had a prep a presence and you know, their word sort of carries a little bit louder in the locker room because they've just got the experience. 
did you see a drop off of that? Um, were there were there certain situations where you saw guys doing more? How do people, I guess, in your personal opinion, or just what you saw when you were in the league, in terms of or like listening to a veteran guy, or both in a combination? I'm curious. I'm just, you cut you cut out there on the last part. Can you say? Can you repeat that part, please? Yeah, my question is sort of, you know, you said that, you know, it used to be on the shoulders of sort of the veteran guys to kind of step up and help younger players adjust and get into the right mindset. Um, and, you know, now there are people there on staff to help with that process. Um, did you see an impact or a shift and a change in the league? Or, you know, what are your thoughts around that? Do you feel it disempowers veterans to do that? Does it make any difference at all? I'm just kind of curious your thoughts. Um, I think it's a good thing to have in place now, uh, especially as the league gets younger and younger. Um the I feel like the vets that I had or that I that was in the league back in the day when I first came in, there's there's not a lot of them left. Uh so I think there should be a definitely um uh a mental team, I guess you would call it, to to help the players get through those kind of things. And there's a lot of different I mean, there's a lot of different things to navigate now. I, I definitely think there needs someone there to help uh players deal with the mental side of things for sure. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that they are starting to uh, really take that. I shouldn't say take it serious because I feel like it, now that they have more information, um, they're acting on it. And uh, I, I, I'm really happy to see that because uh, it definitely can be a lot of mental challenges when um, dealing with the things that you have to deal with playing professional sports. No, that's awesome to hear. It definitely seems like since 2015, things have really, uh, and especially since 2018, but since 2015, things have really uh, changed quite a bit uh, in pro sports with regard to them taking that seriously sure. and, and paying attention to that information. And you mentioned like the, the, the role of veterans on teams. I've always been fascinated by that because I think for, for some fans, uh, some fans will kind of chirp at those players that, that are on the bench most of the game. Like I'm, I'm thinking like a Jared Dudley or like a Udonis Haslam and, and they might sort of wonder why, you know, why is this person being paid by this team when they really don't play? And that, that's exactly what it is. I feel like it's such an underrated uh, roster spot to have that, um, even with, with now that things have changed, where there's a team of people who may have insight into the, the psychological or, or mental health aspect of things, to have a vet on the team who can take people under his wing and be able to show them the ropes of, like, how to be a pro in the league and how to navigate, um, you know, your schedule day-to-day, -day, just being an adult and living independently uh, as a pro, traveling, all that kind of stuff. That's got to be invaluable. So I always found it interesting to see which players, as they shift to different phases of their career, kind of become one of those players on, on teams. I'm interested when it comes to like um, what you've seen as an NBA player, you know, from 2012 to 2021, you were kind of you started before things shifted in 2015 and you were there after the shift kind of started. Do players, Don and I have always wondered, do players trust, you know, when a, a pro sports team brings in? a specialist to work, whether it's a psychologist or, a, you know, a, a sports psychologist, mental health coach, mental health professional, they trust that because the team brought it in or is there some uh, skepticism around whether they can really be uh, open and, and utilize that? Um, uh, I think resource. the trust has to be built. I wouldn't say that people just necessarily trust them as soon as they come in just because the team says so. Uh, you know, when you're talking about things that are that, that close to you and um, that intimate, um, I feel like there has to be, there always has to be a relationship built between you and that person before you go and discuss the things that might be bothering you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. No, that makes a ton of sense. It's, um, 
related to the mental health side of things, I know John's done a lot of work on, on uh, the psychological aspects of injury recovery. And so we talk a lot about performance mindset and a lot about, uh, you know, the psychological aspects of being a high level athlete and what that means both as an athlete and as a person, but injury recovery is one thing that I think is starting to get more attention because it, it has such a psychological component. I know you went through uh, a pretty big Achilles injury. So I'd, I'd love to hear you speak and maybe John, you can, you can ask some questions on this one about what that was like for you to go through that, uh, that specific injury from a psychological standpoint, both in terms of the injury itself and then trying to get back to playing level. Um, I mean, it, I had, I had my good days and I had my bad days, you know, uh, but uh, me as a person, I just try to take everything where where I'm in a tough or situation that I um, might be long. I, I just try to take it day by day. Uh, that's something that I'm really big on. So every day I just had to wake up and, and get better every single day. And uh, of course, there were days where that didn't go as planned. But most of the days I felt like um, that's what that's what kept me going. I try not to look at, oh, I'll be out this amount of time or I just woke up and each day was each day. I feel like uh, just being present in those moments uh, helped take away from 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 the from the rest of the stuff. Just taking it day by day, being present in that moment, and and trying to get better every day. Yeah, hey, I'm really happy that you mentioned that too. I think you know a lot of the stuff that we do and I, I do with athletes who are coming back from recovery is. I find that they're focusing on the wrong thing, right? Yeah. So for your to, to say what you were talking about, right, that they're focused on, well, I'm going to be gone for six months. When I come back, I'm going to be so far behind. I'm not going to be where I'm right. going to be. Their head starts flooding with doubt and fear. Right. And then that's how you live your day. Sure. Um, and that can, you know, you do that for a recovery period, especially for like Achilles or an, an ACL or MCL yeah. or whatever. And we're talking months. That's a, that, that's months long training, really practice of the wrong mindset. Um, and it's encouraging to hear Darius and I, I hope the people listening to, and I hope this message spreads that the idea of just focusing on what you can do each day, um, to get better back towards that. And just kind of thinking smaller in that piece is a really, is a really helpful, um, idea. And I'm, I'm curious too, to hear a little bit about, you know, you, you had, you guys have access to some of the best PT and some of the best recovery and rehab facilities, you know, probably in the world. I'm just kind of curious to hear like what your, what your path was back from, um, from injury. I think some of the things we hear, you know, with, with athletes that we work with is it's isolating, yeah. right? So for, you know, I'm in the, I'm just in the training room by myself. I'm, you know, I'm, I kind of have access to the team, but not really, I might not be traveling with them. I might not be going to every game. So you talk to me a little bit about like what that process was like for you and, um, and just give a little more detail. about um, that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely isolating. Um, you spend a lot of time with whoever your trainer, whoever your uh, strength and conditioning guy is. You spend a lot of uh, one-on-one time with them. Um, I built some really good relationships with, uh, the two guys that helped me throughout my whole injury and, uh, recovery process. So, uh, it was, like I said, some days it was tough. Um, when I focused too much on how long it's been or how long I had to go, but, um, most days were strengthening my calf muscle back up, trying to get the, the muscle built back up. Um, I'd come in in the morning with my, my, um, my training, my trainer, my training guy, and then I would come back later with the strength and conditioning guy. And it was just like probably about two, three hours a day, every day. And I just try to stick to it, stick to whatever they have planned for me. And like I said, just stay present, stay positive throughout the whole thing. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's isolating. Uh, there was times where you didn't feel like you're a part of the team. You're never around them. You know, uh, there's a lot that went into it, but, yeah, it was it was it was it was 
okay. It was okay. It wasn't bad, you know. <laughs> as good as it could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Be. Yeah, right. Exactly. As good yeah. as it could be. Yeah, I think you know. I, I, you know, never was at the level of the or the the talent level that you were for for your sport. I, I had a I had an injury for my for myself as well, and remember some of the same the same types of things. And the the isolation and the separation from the team was probably the yeah. hardest. Um, like the you know you're. You know, you're an athlete and you respond well to routines and to schedules. And then all of a sudden everything is like tipped sure. upside down and it's all this new stuff. And, um, you know, those isolation days or those down days are, can be really, really tough. And it sounds like some of the things you utilize to help you through that was just trying to remember being present. Were, were there other things that you utilize, whether it be other people, supports, um, types of things that you used for yourself, like on those on those down days that um, you found to be particularly helpful for yourself? Um, I just tried to uh, stay busy, really. Um, I have two daughters. I spent a lot of time with them. I had a lot of time at home. Um, my wife, of course, spent a lot of time with her. Um, I felt like our relationships got stronger through those times. Uh, I tried to learn, um, different things. Uh, but yeah, I just tried to stay busy mentally when I wasn't recovering, when I wasn't doing my recovery stuff. I just tried to take time doing other things. I'm a gamer. I played games. Uh, I love movies. I watch movies. <laughs> so I just tried to stay busy. Uh, so mm-hmm. Take away from the just the idle mind and just thinking about uh, what I had in front of me, you know. Yeah, it, surround yourself with for sure. love and support from the people that are around you that care for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that, too. And, you know, Jotham and I always talk about, you know, this type of stuff, too. And, you know, I think distraction can get uh, can get a bad reputation, but if it's used in the short term capacity or limited capacity, it can sure. be really effective. Uh, especially, you know, if it's the only tech technique you've got, then it probably won't be effective sure. for very long. But short term, it sounds uh, sounds good. And so, quick tangent here, Darius, also a gamer. So I gotta know, like, wh- what's your go to on those days that you're looking to just kind of zone out for a bit? Oh man, it, nowadays, um, yeah. It just depends on the day, honestly. I still I still play games. I'm still a gamer. I play games. Um, I like taking bike rides. Me and my wife just took a bike ride not too long ago. Uh, some shows. I like to uh, – I love podcasts. Um, I feel like you learn a lot from podcasts, or you can if you listen to the right things. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a day, honestly. That's great. Um, at last question in terms of, you know, the – the rehab and the the recovery component too. One of the things that uh, Jotham and I talk about, I'm really trying to push the, you know, the concept of what I call prehab, um, you know, going at, going at injury and going at mental skills from a preventative means rather than waiting for something to happen and then trying to recover. I think one of the things that I find with working with athletes, particularly going through low parts of their season, confidence takes a dip, going through injury, you know, trying to teach and learn in a state of mind when you're in, you know, for some of these athletes, the lowest that they've been is a really, really challenging um, uphill battle for them. So we're really trying to work on teaching skills and coming at it from a preventative means that when, or if things happen, they're feeling better supported and having better understanding like where I can go from here. Uh, And I'm curious to know if, you know, when you were going through your injury, um, I know you had a lot of support around you from PT stuff and from trainers and, and things like that. Was there ever was it ever brought up for you to talk to somebody more about like the mental recovery component of that? Um, and just wanted to know if those were conversations that were being had. Um, not 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 really. I think it was offered, but uh, I didn't I didn't really take advantage of that. I felt like um, I was pretty good in that aspect. If I ever needed to uh, vent or talk through something, I w- I would talk to about it, or I had 
other people in my family I could go to. And um, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a huge person on a I like controlling your thoughts is is really huge for me. So uh, that's something that I practice daily anyway. So I figured I figured I'd be good on that side of things. That's great. Um, so one more follow up question, and Dolphin, I still want to ask a question too. I'm just curious, what is, what does that look like for you? What types of practices do you put in place um, for working on that mental that mental set in terms of like controlling the thoughts and and managing that? Um, meditation, but I've I've, I've been slacking a, a lot on that recently. <laughs> I need to get back back on it, but <laughs> that that was big for me, especially uh, in my time in Germany and uh, when I was going through my injuries. Uh, learning that that always helped me to learn new things try new things um that's 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 probably the two main things honestly meditation is hard man i go through periods where i do pretty well with it yeah and then you know how Same life happens a couple days kind of get in your way and then it's like man it's been like three <laughs> exactly. months and i haven't done it and i and i noticed i and i noticed it's a, it's a huge difference and i always like think i get to like the two three month mark without it and i'm like you, you real then you get back into it and you realize like right. how did i stop this but it's like you know, I think it's good to to be kind to yourself and be to kind of self-correct without too much self-shaming. Just hop back on the horse and kind of keep going. Uh, but it is hard to stick with that. And you you said so many good things um, that clearly point to like how resilient you are as a person. You know, you talked about strategic use of distraction. You talked about how how key it is to stay present. I think that that's very hard for people yeah. to do a lot of times. But staying present and being mindful is so key when it comes to that in general, but especially sure. injury recovery. And then you also mentioned leaning on supports. And kind of what I heard you say was like taking advantage of, of the time instead of um, dwelling on the time that, uh, that you're experiencing injury, you're taking advantage of the time to learn new things. So growing personally, but also connecting with family on an even deeper level. And I think those are like five things right there, six things that, you know, half of those would help to have all six was must have been very helpful. And I would imagine that also uh, impacts post um, post professional life, you know, as someone who recently retired, have you leaned on similar oh, strategies sure. and what has that adjustment <laughs> been like to go from playing pro to, to being retired? Um, it's, it hasn't been tough for me, honestly. Um, I'm, I'm kind of having fun with it. Just like being in a new chapter of my life, being able to explore new things. I've been um, playing basketball since I can remember my dad played basketball, his dad played basketball. So it's like, uh, now I get to the point, and don't get it wrong. I I love I love basketball. Still play on Sundays every day. Have fun with it. But uh, I just got to the point where I f I felt like it was time for something something new and something different. So uh, the retirement aspect is not hasn't been bad at all. Honestly, I, I'm I'm loving it. Um, pushing myself to the limits, new things, trying to build, create, and um, like I said earlier, getting closer with my family. I think uh the injury and then quarantine COVID kind of accelerated that uh, I finally got to sound and be at home and just, you know, think and explore different things. And, and it felt really good. So it kind of <laughs> sped up my retirement, I would say, but um, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it for sure. That's amazing, man. I know one, one part of, what seems like to be part of your routine in retirement is, uh, you know, being very involved in the NFT community, which is how we kind of connected, you know, we connected uh, through, through Twitter, but mainly through like the psychedelics anonymous space uh, as being both being uh, people in that, uh, that community, the psychedelics anonymous NFT community. So I'm always interested to hear from, from other people um, in the NFT community, but on this podcast as well, you know, what, 
what your kind of like journey into NFTs was. Like, how did you, when did you get into it? How long ago? And, and what was the, the person or catalyst or thing that kind of made you uh, start to learn about that? Um, I think the first time I heard about it, probably about a year, a year and some change ago. Um, like I said, I'm a gamer. So uh, there's a lot of times where I'll just go looking for, you know, new things in gaming and, and then uh, just one day, I, I, I was looking on YouTube and I seen Gary Vee on an interview talking about NFTs. So I explored it a little bit, uh, mentioned it to a couple of my friends, and then uh, I didn't really get into it. Then uh, probably about, I don't know, maybe eight months ago, uh, my friend came back to me. He, he had dove in head first. Uh, was pretty experienced in the space and he came back and told me like everything that has happened and kind of reintroduced me to the space uh, and that's when I kind of jumped jumped right in and um, kind of fell in love with the space I just I just I, I like um, the ability for anybody to create you know, uh, just try to take what they have in their mind and make something out of it kind of like a business almost uh, there's good and there's bad with that of course you see a lot of rug pulls you see the people just trying to make a quick buck out of that. But I think on the other side of that, you get um, you get to see people just live out their dreams. You know, if they have a great idea, I think the technology behind this allows you to present it to people and, and, and just kind of run with it if it's if it's good. So I think that's the kind of the thing that brought me in the most, especially, like I said, in my time now where I'm I'm pushing myself to the limits, trying to create and think of different things that I can um, experiment with. So uh I don't know. It just it just kind of felt felt really good to to get involved in that. And there's amazing art. There's amazing ideas. Uh, there's great um, things for gaming. Like I said, I'm a gamer. So uh, that all of that just combined it and made me made me come to the space. Very well said. Yeah, and it, it is such like a blank slate for like really smart, sure. creative, uh, intelligent people to come in and just build from the ground up i mean i don't think i've ever seen anything like it, at least not in, in my lifetime i think when you know when the internet first came around i was in, i was probably around you know 10 years old and, and didn't wasn't into computers and didn't really understand that kind of stuff so to be part of that now um even just an observer and someone who tries to connect with people in the space is is really been fascinating to see and it's interesting because gary v is the first person that i heard talk about it as well i think it was around may or june of 2021 and i heard yeah, I've been following him for a while. I heard him start talking about yep. MetaMask. I'm like, what is a MetaMask? And, you know, I wanted to trust, I wanted to trust the dude because I'm like, what this guy is into right. always turns to gold. So I should just be paying attention. And I was so busy and I like kind of let it slide. And then I regret that because his project obviously is doing really well. <laughs> you and me on that. But then towards the end of, uh, <laughs> exactly. Then towards the end of 2021, I think I started hearing it more on like, you know, podcast, you mentioned like, you know, there's certain podcasts I go to, like yeah. Tim Ferriss is a podcast I listen to quite a bit. And, and he has some, a lot of tech uh, people on there. And he just, I kept hearing it around November, October, November, 2021. And to the point where I'm like, all right, you know, this, I'm not a natural in this space, but I have to just push myself to figure it out. And I uh, took a month and, and did a couple of deep dives and, and I've been obsessed ever since. So um, definitely a cool space to be a part of. Um, any projects that you know, you don't have to necessarily mention any if you don't feel comfortable doing that. But any projects that you, in particular, uh, support either because of the people or because of the mission or anything like that? Um. Yeah, there's 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 a few like um. I, of course, you, you see my profile picture, the Psychedelics Anonymous. Um, I, I love what yep. they're building. 
love just how genuine it feels. Um, the message behind it is what originally brought me to the, um, to that collection, to that, that project. And um, I mean, they've been extremely transparent. You can see what they're building. You can see their vision. I love projects where you can just see what they're trying to build and, and see their vision. It's not necessarily a, um, just a picture and like, Hey, we're, we're, we're making something. It's more, I like more clear visions on, on, on where people are trying to go. Uh, most of my investments are um, in the gaming side. You know, um, I got, I got a few collections in that. I, I won't, <laughs> I won't mention them, I guess. I don't want anybody to go and buy it or anything. And then, <laughs> you know and not go so well so uh yeah but um there's a few collections i like but that's more so what i look for when i'm when i'm buying into a collection or just a just an artist and their story um i like i like learning about artists and their stories following them seeing what they're building like i said seeing their vision uh and um yeah that's that's pretty much what will draw me collection Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love trying to tap into, you know, people who I believe in and want to support regardless of how the, how the project ends up going. Cause there's a lot of factors that are outside of their control. They might For be sure. right. And uh, like anything with business and it might not go their way, but when you find people that are well-intentioned and are talented, you know, it always feels good to try to support them in any way that you can. And, and I totally agree with what you said about watching, like seeing the roadmap and watch their vision unfold. I think it's a great example. One thing I've noticed about the NFT space is you're kind of like seeing in real time, what it's like for people to try to build a business because right. one key factor that stands out is that one mistake I see people make when they want to um, get into business or they have goals uh, relative to business is that they, they think they have to have every aspect hundred percent figured out before right. they start and it ends up kind of paralyzing right. them. I think you see a lot of NFT communities, they have 50% figured out 60%, but they don't let the, the rest not being stop them from for starting sure. on what they do know and, and seeing how they go. So we're going to, wrap up soon i know we're gonna have some uh time at the end here for q a for anyone who wants to no one has to speak no one has to come up and, and request to speak or ask a question to darius uh, but we do want to leave that that portion of time so this whole space is being recorded i'm going we're going to edit out the q a portion so anyone who asks questions you will your um your questions will not be on the actual podcast you don't have to worry about that we don't get any release assigned or anything like that so i'm going to wrap up the podcast here just so we have that um outro at the end and then uh, we'll save some time here um, you know, for a Q&A for anyone who wants to request to speak. So just as a quick reminder to people, we always um, add all the helpful information and links that we describe in the show notes and on our website at grimdrive.com. I want to encourage people to follow all of us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Darius at at DMillerKY. Um, and John is at Riser and Tread. Uh, and I am at Jotham, L-I-C-S-W. Encourage everyone to... Um, to follow us on Twitter. We do quite a few spaces. We're trying to get into this a little bit more. We do the podcast once every two weeks, uh, basically bi-weekly now where we have a guest. Uh, we also have a couple other spaces here and there, um, sometimes through the PA community, the Psychedelics Anonymous community, sometimes through the Astromojis uh, NFT community as well. Um, so we want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Grim Drive podcast for our interview with Darius Miller. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks, but again, we encourage people to follow us on Twitter where we'll be hosting more spaces coming up. Uh, including one with Astromoji's NFT community called The Coaching Zone with John and Jotham. It's going to be Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. This week, the first one's going to be at 3 p.m., but moving forward, will be at 2 p.m. And another one that I sometimes co-host through the Psychedelics Anonymous community um, called PA Sports Talk, which we're going to try to do uh, bi-weekly. Um, we're not sure on the day and time yet, but we encourage people to tune in for that. And thanks for joining us for this episode.